the dawn of a tomorrow by francis burnett hodgson this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org the dawn of a tomorrow by francis burnett hodgson section 2 part a as he went down the narrow staircase covered with its dingy and threadbare carpet he found the house so full of dirty yellow haze that he realized that the fog must be of the extraordinary ones which are remembered in after years as abnormal specimens of their kind he recalled that there had been one of the sort three years before and that traffic and business had been almost entirely stopped by it that accidents had happened in the streets and that people having lost their way had wandered about turning corners until they found themselves far from their intended destinations and obliged to take refuge in hotels or the houses of hospitable strangers curious incidents had occurred and odd stories were told by those who had felt themselves obliged by circumstances to go out into the baffling gloom he guessed that something of a like nature had fallen upon the town again the gaslight on the landings and in the melancholy hall burned feebly so feebly that one got but a vague view of the rickety hat-stand and the shabby overcoats and headgear hanging upon it it was well for him that he had but a corner or so to turn before he reached the pawn-shop in whose window he had seen the pistol he intended to buy when he opened the street-door he saw that the fog was upon the whole perhaps even heavier and more obscuring if possible than the one so well remembered he could not see anything three feet before him he could not see with distinctness anything two feet ahead of him the sensation of stepping forward was uncertain and mysterious enough to be almost appalling a man not sufficiently cautious might have fallen into an open hole in his path antony dart kept as closely as possible to the sides of the houses it would have been easy to walk off the pavement into the middle of the street but for the edges of the curb and the step downward from its level traffic had almost absolutely ceased though in the more important streets link-boys were making efforts to guide men or four-wheelers slowly along the blind feeling of the thing was rather awful though but few pedestrians were out dart found himself once or twice brushing against or coming into forcible contact with men feeling their way about like himself one turn to the right he repeated mentally two to the left and the place is at the corner of the other side of the street he managed to reach it at last but it had been a slow and therefore long journey all the gas-jets the little shop owned were lighted but even under their flare the articles in the window the one or two cheaply gaudy dresses and shawls and men's garments hung in the haze like the dreary dangling ghosts of things recently executed among watches and forlorn pieces of old-fashioned jewellery and odds and ends the pistol lay against the folds of a dirty gauze shawl there it was it would have been annoying if someone else had been beforehand and had bought it inside the shop more dangling spectres hung and the place was almost dark 
it was a shabby pawn-shop and the man lounging behind the counter was the shabby man with an unshaven unamiable face i want to look at that pistol in the right-hand corner of your window antony dart said the pawnbroker uttered a sound something between a half-laugh and a grunt he took the weapon from the window antony dart examined it critically he must make quite sure of it he made no further remark he felt he had done with speech. Being told the price asked for the purchase, he drew out his purse and took the money from it. After making the payment, he noted that he still possessed a five-pound note and some sovereigns. There passed through his mind a wonder as to who would spend it. The most decent thing, perhaps, would be to give it away. If it was in his room, to-morrow, the parish would not bury him, and it would be safer that the parish should. He was thinking of this as he left the shop and began to cross the street. Because his mind was wandering, he was less watchful. Suddenly, a rubber-tired hansom, moving without sound, appeared immediately in his path. The horse's head loomed up above his own. He made the inevitable, involuntary whirl aside to move out of the way. The hansom passed, and turning again, he went on. His movement had been too swift to allow his realizing the direction in which his turn had been made. He was wholly unaware that when he crossed the street, he crossed backward instead of forward. He turned a corner, literally feeling his way, went on, turned another, and after walking the length of the street, suddenly understood that he was in a strange place, and had lost his bearings. This was exactly what had happened to people on the day of the memorable fog of three years before. He had heard them talking of such experiences, and of the curious and baffling sensations they gave rise to in the brain. Now he understood them. He could not be far from his lodgings, but he felt like a man who was blind, and who had been turned out of the path he knew. He had not the resource of the people whose stories he had heard. He would not stop and address anyone. There could be no certainty as to whom he might find himself speaking to. He would speak to no one. He would wander about until he came upon some clue. Even if he came upon none, the fog would surely lift a little and become a trifle less dense in course of time. He drew up the collar of his overcoat, pulled his hat down over his eyes, and went on, his hand on the thing he had thrust into a pocket. He did not find his clue as he had hoped, and instead of lifting, the fog grew heavier. He found himself at last no longer striving for any end, but rambling along mechanically, feeling like a man in a dream, a nightmare. Once he recognized a weird suggestion in the mystery about him. Tomorrow night might one be wandering about aimlessly in some such haze. He hoped not. His lodgings were not far from the embankment, and he knew at last that he was wandering along it, and had reached one of the bridges. His mood led him to turn in upon it, and when he reached an embrasure, to stop near it and lean upon the parapet, looking down. He could not see the water, the fog was too dense, but he could hear some faint splashing against stones. He had taken no food, and was rather faint. What a strange thing it was to feel faint for want of food, to stand alone, 
cut off from every other human being, everything done for. No wonder that sometimes, particularly on such days as these, there were plunges made from the parapet. No wonder. He leaned farther over and strained his eyes to see some gleam of water through the yellowness, but it was not to be done. He was thinking the inevitable thing, of course, but such a plunge would not do for him. The other thing would destroy all traces. As he drew back he heard something fall with a solid tinkling sound of coin on the flag pavement. When he had been in the pawnbroker's shop he had taken the gold from his purse and thrust it carelessly into his waistcoat pocket, thinking that it would be easy to reach when he chose to give it to one beggar or another, if he should see some wretch who would be the better for it. Some movement he had made in bending had caused a sovereign to slip out, and it had fallen upon the stones. He did not intend to pick it up, but in the moment in which he stood looking down at it he heard close to him a shuffling movement. What he had thought a bundle of rags or rubbish, covered with sacking, some tramp's deserted or forgotten belongings, was stirring. It was alive, and, as he bent to look at it, the sacking divided itself, and a small head, covered with a shock of brilliant red hair, thrust itself out, a shrewd small face turning to look up at him slyly, with deep-set black eyes. It was a human girl-creature about twelve years old. "'Are you going to do it?' she said in a hoarse, street-strained voice. "'Yer would be a fool if you did, with as much as that on yer." She pointed with a reddened, chapped, and dirty hand at the sovereign. "'Pick it up,' he said. "'You may have it.' Her wild shuffle forward was an actual leap. The hand made a snatching clutch at the coin. She was evidently afraid that he was either not in earnest or would repent. The next second she was on her feet and ready for flight. "'Stop,' he said. "'I've got more to give away.' She hesitated, not believing him, yet feeling it madness to lose a chance. "'More!' she gasped. Then she drew nearer to him, and a singular change came upon her face. It was a change which made her look oddly human. "'God, mister,' she said. "'You can give away a quid like it was nothing, and you've got more, and you're going to do that just cause you had a bit too much last night, and there's a fog this morning. You take it straight from me, don't you do it. I give you that a tip for the serving. She was, for her years, so ugly and so ancient, and hardened in voice and skin and manner, that she fascinated him. Not that a man who has no to-morrow in view is likely to be particularly conscious of mental processes. He was done for, but he stood and stared at her. What part of the power moving the scheme of the universe stood near and thrust him on in the path designed he did not know, then perhaps never did? He was still holding on to the thing in his pocket, but he spoke to her again. What do you mean? he asked glumly. She sidled nearer, her sharp eyes on his face. I've been watching you, she said. I sat down and pulled the sack o'er me head to breathe inside it and get a bit warm, and I see yer come. I knowed what yer was after, I did. I watched yer through a hole in the sack. I wasn't going to call copper. I shouldn't want to be stopped myself if I had made up my mind. I seed a gal dragged out last week, and it had broke yer heart to see her tear clothes and scream. What business had they preventin' her to goin' off quiet? I wouldn't a stopped yer. But 
when the quid fell that made it different i he said feeling the foolishness of the statement but making it nevertheless i am ill course you're ill it's your ad come along ere me and get a cup of coffee at a stand and a buck up if you give me that quid straight wish you may die i'll go with yer and get a cup myself i ain't ad a bite since yesterday and it twa'n't nothin but a slice of polony sausage i found on a dust heap come on mister she pulled his coat with her cracked hand he glanced down at it mechanically and saw that some of the fissures had bled and the roughened surface was smeared with the blood they stood together in the small space in which the fog enclosed them he and she the man with no to-morrow and the girl thing who seemed as old as himself with her sharp small nose and chin her sharp eyes and voice and yet perhaps the fog's enclosing did it something drew them together in an uncanny way something made him forget the lost clue to the lodging-house something made him turn and go with her a thing led in the dark how can you find your way he said i lost mine there ain't no fog can lose me she answered shuffling along by his side sides it's goin to lift look at that man comin towards us it was true that they could see through the orange-coloured mist the approaching figure of a man who was at a yard's distance from them yes it was lifting slightly at least enough to allow of one's making a guess at the direction in which one moved where are you going he asked apple blossom court she answered coffee stands in a street near it and there's a shop where i can buy things apple blossom court he ejaculated what a name there ain't no apple blossoms there chucklin nor no smell of em tain't as nice as its name is apple blossom court ain't what do you want to buy a pair of shoes the shoes her naked feet were thrust into were leprous-looking things through which nearly all her toes protruded but she chuckled when he spoke no i'm a-goin to buy a diamond tear to go with the oprian she said dragging her old sack closer round her neck and i ain't ad a new un since i went to the last drawin room it was impudent street chaff but there was a cheerful spirit in it and cheerful spirit had some occult effect upon morbidity antony dart did not smile but he felt a faint stirring of curiosity which was after all not a bad thing for a man who had not felt an interest for a year what is it you are going to buy i'm goin to fill me stomach first with a grin of elation three thick slices of bread and drippin and a mug of coffee and then i'm goin to get somethin hearty to carry to polly she ain't no good poor thing who is she stopping a moment to drag up the heel of her dreadful shoe she answered him with an unprejudiced directness which might have been appalling if he had been in the mood to be appalled ain't eighteen and tryin to earn her livin on the street she ain't made for it little country thing allus frightened to death and ready to bust out cryin gents ain't goin to stand that a lot of em wants cheerin up as much as she does gent as was in liquor last night knocked her down and give her a black eye twa'n't ill feelin but he lost his temper and give her a knock casual she can't go out to-night and she's been huddled up all day cryin for her mother where is her mother in the country on a farm polly took a place in a lodgin house and got in trouble 
the bibby was dead and when she come out of queen charlotte's she was took in by a woman and kept she kicked her out in a week cause of her cryin life didn't suit her i found her cryin fit to split her chist one night corner apple blossom court and i took care of her where the chambers grinning top loft of a house in the court if anyone else would have it i should be turned out it's an ole and i can tell you but it's better than sleepin under the bridges take me to see it said antony dart i want to see the girl the words spoke themselves why should he care to see either cockloft or girl he did not he wanted to go back to his lodgings with that which he had come out to buy yet he said this thing his companion looked up at him with an expression actually relieved would you take up with her with eager sharpness as if confronting a simple business proposition she's pretty and clean and she won't drink a drop o' nothin if she's treated kind she'd be cheerfuler she's got a round face and a light air and eyes her air's curly perhaps you'd like her take me to see her she'd look better to-morrow cautiously when swellin's gone down round her eye dart started and it was because he had for the last five minutes forgotten something i shall not be here to-morrow he said his grasp upon the thing in his pocket had loosened and he tightened it i have some more money in my purse he said deliberately i meant to give it away before going i want to give it to people who need it very much she gave him one of the sly squinting glances deservin cases she put it to him in brazen mockery i don't care he answered slowly and heavily i don't care a damn her face changed exactly as he had seen it change on the bridge when she had drawn near to him its ugly hardness suddenly looked human and that she could look human was fantastic how much have you she asked how much is it about ten pounds she stopped and stared at him with open mouth god she broke out ten pounds send apple blossom court to heaven listways it'd take some of it out o hell take me to it he said roughly take me she began to walk quickly breathing fast the fog was lighter and it was no longer a blinding thing a question occurred to dart why don't you ask me to give the money to you he said bluntly dunno she answered as bluntly but after taking a few steps further she spoke again i'm cheerfuler than most of em she elaborated if you're born cheerfuler ye can stand things when i gits a job nussin women's babies they don't cry when i andles em i gits many a bite and a copper cause of that folks like yer i shall get on better than polly when i'm old enough to go on the street the organ of whose lagging sick pumpings antony dart had scarcely been aware of for months gave a sudden leap in his breast his blood actually hastened in its pace and ran through his veins instead of crawling a distinct physical effect of an actual mental condition it was produced upon him by the mere matter-of-fact ordinariness of her tone he had never been a sentimental man and had long ceased to be a feeling one but at that moment something emotional and normal happened to him you expect to live in that way he said ain't nothin else for me to do wisht i was better lookin but i've got a lot of air clawing her mop and it's red one day chucklin a gent says to me he says oh you'll do you're an ugly little devil but you are a devil she was leading him through a narrow filthy back street 
and she stopped, grinning up in his face. "'I say, mister,' she wheedled, "'let's stop at the coffee stand. It's up this way.' When he acceded and followed her, she quickly turned a corner. They were in another lane, thick with fog, which flared with the flame of torches stuck in coster's barrows, which stood here and there, barrows with fried fish upon them, barrows with second-hand-looking vegetables, and others piled with more than second-hand-looking garments. Trade was not thriving, but near one or two of them dirty, ill-used-looking women, a man or so, and a few children stood. At a corner which led into a black hole of a court, a coffee-stand was stationed, in charge of a burly ruffian in corduroys. "'Come along,' said the girl. "'There it is. It ain't strong, but it's hot.' The girl held out her hand cautiously, the piece of gold lying upon its palm. She sidled up to the stand, drawing Dart with her, as if glad of his protection. "'Ello, Barney,' she said. "'Ere's a gent warrants the mugger your best. I've had a bit of luck, and I wants one myself.' Garn, growled Barney. "'You and your luck. Gent may want a mug, but ye'd show your money fust. Truth, I've got it. Ye ain't got the change for what I have in me hand. Here, as he mister. Show it, taunted the man, and then turning to Dart. Yer wants a mug of coffee? Yes. The girl held out her hand cautiously, the piece of gold lying upon its palm. Looky here, she said. There were two or three men slouching about the stand. Suddenly a hand darted from between two of them who stood nearest. The sovereign was snatched, a screamed oath from the girl rent the thick air, and a forlorn enough scarecrow of a young fellow sprang away. The blood leapt in Antony Dart's veins again, and he sprang after him in a wholly normal passion of indignation. Thousand years ago, as it seemed to him, he had been a good runner. This man was not one, and want of food had weakened him. Dart went after him with the strides which astonished himself. Up the street, into an alley, and out of it, a dozen yards more, and into a court, and the man wheeled with a hoarse, baffled curse. The place had no outlet. Hell, was all the creature said. Dart took him by his greasy collar. Even the brief rush had left him feeling like a living thing, which was a new sensation. Give it up, he ordered. The thief looked at him with a half-laugh and obeyed, as if he felt the uselessness of a struggle. He was not more than twenty-five years old, and his eyes were cavernous with want. He had the face of a man who might have belonged to a better class. When he had uttered the exclamation invoking the infernal regions, he had not dropped the aspirate. "'I'm as hungry as she is,' he raved. "'Hungry enough to rob a child beggar?' said Dart. "'Hungry enough to rob a starving old woman or baby,' with a defiant snort. "'Wolf-hungry? Tiger-hungry? Hungry enough to cut throats?' He whirled himself loose and leaned his body against the wall, turning his face toward it. Suddenly he made a choking sound and began to sob. "'Hell!' he choked. "'I'll give it up. I'll give it up.' What a figure as he swung against the blackened wall, his scarecrow clothes hanging on him, their once decent material— making their pinning together of buttonless places, their looseness and rents showing dirty linen, more abject than any other squalor could have made them. Antony Dart's blood, still running warm and well, was doing its normal work among the brain cells which had stirred so evilly through the night. 
when he had seized the fellow by the collar his hand had left his pocket he thrust it into another pocket and drew out some silver go and get yourself some food he said as much as you can eat then go and wait for me at the place they call apple blossom court i don't know where it is but i am going there i want to hear how you came to this will you come the thief lurched away from the wall and toward him he stared up into his eyes through the fog the tears had smeared his cheekbones god he said will i come look and see if i'll come dart looked yes you'll come he answered and he gave him the money i'm going back to the coffee-stand the thief stood staring after him as he went out of the court dart was speaking to himself i don't know why i did it he said but the thing had to be done end of section two part a